Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Netta Gorman is the person behind the brand Life After Sugar. Six years ago, she decided to address her health and digestive issues. In reality, her body forced her to try something she never never thought would be possible, a two-week experiment to cut out all sugar, sweeteners, and grains. It seemed impossible at the time, and she had no idea what she would eat. But to her amazement, the switch opened up a whole new world to her. She discovered a whole new lease on life. Tons of energy, extra pounds melted away, aches and pains disappeared, glowing skin, and massive improvements in her digestion. She shares her story on her fantastic podcast, Life After Sugar, and on her website, aftersugarclub.com. And we are honored to host Netta here on Balanced Body Radio. Netta Gorman, welcome to Balanced Body Radio. Thank you so much for having me. We are honored to have you. And basically the plan for this interview is I'm just going to mute myself. You can talk about whatever you want, anything, any topic you'd like, because I love your accent so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the one with the accent. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good way to look at it, right? (laughs) Um, Where are you from originally? I'm originally from England. So I, I grew up in different parts of England, but I went to school Uh, in Coventry, which is in the Midlands, uh, and I went to university at York. But when I was 18, I came over to French-speaking Quebec in Canada, um, and I sort of stayed, and I teach English as a second language to French-speaking students here. That's so cool. Do you love it? I love it. I absolutely love it. That's amazing. Yeah, from your accent, I I could tell England for sure, and I thought maybe, like, I wondered if you had lived in, like, South Africa for, you know, a year or two or something, but, um, yeah, you have a a beautiful voice. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Well, this is my English teacher voice. (laughs) It's very proper. I love it. (laughs) Feel free to correct (laughs) me on anything I goof up. You can give me a a grade if you want. (laughs) Oh, I'm off duty now. (laughs) Sounds good. I am so excited to hear about your story. It's something that you really focus on on your podcast, which I absolutely love, um, and I want to talk about that too. But you're, you you do such a great job of capturing other people's stories and, and the things they've gone through and the, the challenges they've had to overcome, and you are no exception. You've had a lot that you've gone through, and I would love to just kind of deep dive and have a great conversation about those things and what you learned along the way. Yes. Well, my kind of starting point was not my weight. That That was pretty much okay for me. I've never been really overweight, although I did have 15 pounds or so um, because I had a baby quite late in life after IVF. So that in itself is uh, pretty difficult to to get through and difficult on the body to, for myself at least, to be pregnant in my late thirties. So, um, but, so I didn't have a huge weight problem, but what I did have was chronic constipation ever since like my late 20s, and it gradually got worse and worse. And this is what really backed me into a corner to change something about my diet because I tried everything the doctors had told me to do, and they kept telling me eat more fiber, which I did, and that made things worse, actually. Who'd have thought? So, I mean, I was compliant. I was doing what the doctors told me. I was eating more fiber or or at least more fiber products, I was taking the little pills, the laxatives they were giving me every time I just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, But nothing was getting better. It was actually getting worse. So then I actually consulted with a a nutritional therapist. Um, And we don't have a lot of nutritional therapists here in Quebec. So um, I actually 
consulted with one in the States over Zoom, or, or I think it was Skype in those days, because it was a good six years ago. Oh, yeah, wow. You know, nobody knew what Zoom was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so she sent me this questionnaire with like 300 questions to try and work out what it was, because she was looking at or trying to find the cause of my constipation and not just looking to treat the symptoms, which is really what sort of so-called modern medicine does. And to make a long story short, what came out of this long questionnaire was that she thought, but she was very prudent about this, but she thought that it could be that I wasn't making enough stomach acid. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't know that existed. I knew that people took antiacids, but I didn't know it would it was possible to not make enough stomach acid. So, um, you know, stomach acid is a touchy thing. You don't just go kind of popping stomach acid pills, you know, just for fun. So she said, just take it very, very prudently. She said, try a little bit of uh, betaine HCL, which is the the, the type of acid in pill form plus digestive enzymes and start off very carefully, which is what I did. And anyway, it turns out that this was my problem because my I was eating food, I was eating my meals, uh, you know, with or without sugar at the time, it was with sugar and starches. I was eating, you know, what I considered to be regular, normal meals, but they weren't getting digested and they were sitting in my stomach for days and days. Wow. And then taking more days to get through my intestines. Wow. Because you need a certain level of acidity. It's actually 1.5 pH, which is pretty acid. Yeah, I was going need... to say it's very acid, isn't it? Right. Stomach acid is very acid. So if you're not making enough, then the contents of your stomach won't go through to your intestines, which is what was happening to me. Because I didn't know all this at the time. I was just in agony, basically, just going to to the bathroom like once a week. Wow. 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 Now for somebody like myself, I've never experienced that. I've heard it described, but I, I personally have never just, I've never experienced that myself. Can you, can you tell us like, what, what does that feel like? Is it a little painful? Is it crazy painful? Like what, how does that feel? I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Wow. That bad. And it was just, it's not just a little bit uncomfortable. It is it's like it's worse than giving birth because not that you'd know (laughs) (laughs) but because you know at least when you're giving birth it's relatively temporary and you've got a lovely product at the end of it right Mm. but when you're constipated and chronically constipated it's it's this kind of physical suffering I was bloated I had pain around my midsection right up my back even I used to think it was something wrong with my back and then of course once you 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 don't I didn't have this sort of feeling of you know I need to go to the bathroom I didn't have that urge or very very rarely and when I did get it I'd sit there literally for hours straining and pushing and waiting for something it was horrible wow now, and the thing is, no one can see that, right? If you're overweight or something, people can see that. Uh, or if you've got some sort of, you know, broken arm, they can see that. But this isn't something you talk about in polite conversation. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. And if you do, you get the same advice that you already mentioned. Like everybody knows, everybody knows that if you are backed up, you need to eat more fiber. It's so, like so ubiquitous. Like it's 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 almost like so obvious that nobody actually really talks about what is happening when you're just adding so much more and more and more bulk that isn't, you know, it, it's not usable by the body. It, it can be so problematic yet. Again, it's so ubiquitously known that you need more fiber and that just doesn't seem to be the case. It's not the case. And it's certainly not the case for everybody. And then there's different types of fiber and different sources of fiber. So, I mean, I, this wasn't explained to me by any doctor that I'd ever come across I, I kind of had to work it out for myself. And, you know, I realized after a while that if, if my stomach contents are not being digested, then adding roughage to them is like the worst thing you can do. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But when learning that lesson was pretty shocking to me because, again, it's just like everybody just assumes that you absolutely need more. Um, in the introduction, we mentioned a few of the things that that had also kind of reversed for you. You noticed improvements and other things, but were they acutely and actively on your mind, or is it something more like in hindsight, like wow, I I was having more issues than I really thought? Yes. Well, I no, I definitely wasn't aware of, or, or at least I wasn't concentrating on anything else. But could I please go to the bathroom every day? That was my <laughs> my wish in life. Mm. And so I wasn't, I mean, I certainly wasn't thinking, hmm, you know, I'd really like to give up sugar. That's, you know, I was suffering enough. I wasn't going to add to my suffering by giving up all the foods I really loved, right? Mm. Yeah, that makes but, sense. Right. So at the same time as um, sort of asking me to take these hydrochloric acid pills and the digestive enzymes, the nutritional therapist, who I repeat, was looking for the cause of the problem and not just treating the symptoms, she said to me, she proposed that I cut sugar, sweeteners, and grains. Um, and th this I found just too crazy of an idea to even entertain for the longest time. I said, no, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do that? That's not my problem. My problem is constipation. So um, although my digestive problems did start getting better with what she, she gave me, um, I, it took me a while to realize that actually I was having other problems and that maybe I could give it a try, what she proposed, this two-week experiment of, of stopping eating sugar, sweeteners, and grains, especially refined grains, give it a try for two weeks. You know, what did I have to lose apart from 15 pounds around my midsection? <laughs> wow. So I tried it. I, I, I sort of brainwashed myself by reading a half dozen books about it before I even started because I'm a bit of a nerd that way. Um, and then I went off to the grocery store um, to do my first shop for foods that don't have flour, sugar or sweeteners. <laughs> and I just stood there for two hours wondering what the heck to buy. That is an alarming experience. People describe that all the time. When you start thinking about your food, you start realizing how much crap is out there and how difficult it is to answer that question. What the hell am I going to eat? And I used to eat healthy food. That's what I'd always believed, you know. And then when you start thinking about it and picking up the boxes and the cans and the packets and the, you know, and you realize, well, everything, everything, 
or rather everything that's packaged has either some sort of sugar or grain or flour or starch or sweetener in it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's crazy. So you just described, you said you were eating a fairly healthy diet. Um, each one of those things, I want to ask um, all three of those things independently, how big of a leap was it for you to cut them out? Was one more difficult than another? Um, was one like really easy to cut out? Like what was your experience like with each one of those three things? Between the sugar, the sweeteners and the, the grains? Yes. Well, sweeteners, it was a no brainer because I didn't really eat sweeteners. I wasn't a gum chewing kind of person. It wasn't really in my kind of family background to chew gum so or, or sort of to sweeten things with artificial sweetness. So that, I think that was the easiest one because I didn't know the different types of sweetness that were snuck into like flavoured yogurts, you know. Like I used to eat those um, lemon flavoured yogurts, you know, mm, yeah. and then I realised that they had a ton of sweeteners and sugars and added stuff. So then I realised I actually was eating sweeteners without re realising it. And then the next thing I think that was easier was, funnily enough, was the sugar. Because even though I was the world's number one sweet tooth, the dessert queen, <laughs> um, it's like it's more obvious that when you look at all the cookies and the cakes and the ice cream and all the rest of it, that's where the obvious sugars are. So in that way, it was, it was easier to cut because it was easier to actually recognize them. Mm. And the sneakiest one was the grains and the starches because they're not black on white on the food labels and the list of ingredients. It's not as easy to spot them. Even for someone like me, you know, who's got university degrees in linguistics and speaks several languages, I was completely unable to understand a simple food label. Mm. What were some of those first challenges you had to overcome or what were some of the first things you had to learn how to do? I had to learn how to navigate my way through lists of ingredients, synonyms for sugar and starches, and kind of picking up something that I thought was healthy, looking at it, and then having to put it back on the shelf. Mm. Yeah, because isn't there like something like 80 different names for sugar? Right. Yes, at the very least. Mm. So... But the shortcut really that helped me the most was not to choose foods that actually had packaging with labels on it mm. and to stick to the outskirts of the grocery store and to stick to whole foods that don't have labels, don't have long lists of ingredients and don't need health claims. Yeah. So that was going to be my next question is, you know, you spent two hours at the store kind of, you know, learning food labels and what to buy and what not to buy. What did your shopping cart look like walking out of the store? It wasn't actually that full compared to what it was before. So it looked like it had, well, it, it had meats, fish, seafood, vegetables, some fruit, um, yogurt, plain yogurt, um, some frozen vegetables. I think this was the summer, though, so I, I had more fresh than frozen up here in Canada. You don't get much fresh in the wintertime. Mm. Um, but this was in the summer, um, and that was pretty much it. Mm. When you look back on some of those foods or maybe some of the recipes that you made, what what do you like, where do you, where do you place the most value? Like what foods were your favorites that helped keep you on track initially um, that, that kept you on that plan for the two weeks? Eggs. Eggs. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> because 
the breakfasts that I was used to having were all full of toast and cereal and that was just like a normal breakfast or some sort of pastry at the weekend or you know and that was a normal breakfast for me um, and even oatmeal was pushing it a bit I'm not a fan of oatmeal so I wasn't I didn't used to eat uh, that that was my main breakfast toast and or cereal and then I for these two weeks I changed that to either eggs with some kind of meat or eggs with vegetables or you know and I just thought it was weird to eat a salty savory breakfast and not a sweet breakfast mm. Wow. Well, I, I know exactly how <laughs> this experiment is going to go. I've worked with a lot mm. of people through the same experiment. So I, I, I can kind of foresee, you know, what's going to happen. And this, this kind of story was also told really well in the movie Fat Fiction. Uh, we had the pleasure of interviewing Jan Eisenhart, who was one of the filmmakers of that, of that movie. And they take, you know, just normal people and they put them on a week of kind of a lower carbohydrate diet. They eat as many eggs and avocados as they want. They measure their blood glucose and all this stuff. And these people are like, wow, I'm like pretty full. I'm like really happy. Like I feel good. And then they stop and do a little washout period. And then they have to do a week of going back to eating the old foods that they used to eat before. And you, you just know, you know exactly what's going to happen. You know exactly how they're going to feel. They are hungry and cranky and <laughs> really upset. And, and it's almost immediate when they go back to that old diet, the change. And so I wanted, I want to bring that back to you in the context of like how for you getting started at that point, the start of your two week, um, experiment, how difficult did you think it was going to be to cut out all those foods? Were you ever like really daunted by the task? Yes. I thought it was going to be impossible. Okay. And the only thing that saved me is that I'm naturally relatively open-minded um, and sort of adventurous and I thought you know it was only going to be for two weeks it wasn't going to be forever um, and so I was like well I didn't even get rid of all the sweet stuff in my house because mm. it was right there for me you know as a reminder that it's just temporary right so um, yes it seemed impossible I have to say okay gotcha when did it start to become a little bit more um, possible, doable, um, maybe even before you started to notice some, some benefits or did you notice the benefits first and that kind of kept you motivated? No, I didn't notice the benefits first. I noticed around, I would say, cause I wrote, I was, you know, I was writing a little sort of journal as I was doing this and around day four of the first week, um, I said to my husband, look, um, I, I'm just going to lie down for a nap, which I never do. And I think I was out for the count for two days. Mm. And I was just out of action for two days because I was just exhausted um, and sort of felt like I'd been hit by a bus. And, you know, you, you probably can see that coming as well. But I certainly didn't. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, I mean, yeah, I looked it up. I, I knew after I read up on it, what was going on in my body. I think people call it the keto flu, um, although I'd never heard of keto at that time. And mm. um, I said, yeah, sorry. No, 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 you're, this is great. Can you, can you explain, like, with your understanding today, can you explain exactly what was going on for the listener who may have, maybe they're in your, your, where you were, where you don't understand how this stuff is impacting you and looking back and seeing like, yeah, you were really tired, you know, for two days. We understand what that is now, but can you, can you explain to Lister a little bit about what, what was going on at the time? Well, from, from the, what I know now of human biology and human metabolism, my body wasn't getting the food in that gave it glucose 
wasn't getting the same amount as it used to. And so it was kind of switching or being forced to switch from using glucose as energy to using another source of fuel, as it were, which is my body fat. And it was not happy about making that switch. So because the body likes homeostasis, you know, likes to stay the same. It's very tightly regulated, right, for your human metabolism. And any kind of huge change like that, like the input of, of the type of energy you're getting from your food, um, for my body at least, it was not going to take it. Well, it did take it lying down. <laughs> <laughs> it did. I didn't take to it easily. It doesn't affect everybody, but it certainly affected me. Mm, that was a really great explanation. I think it's unfortunate that, you know, people don't understand like, yeah, it's going to be pretty crappy for a few days if you take away your main primary fuel source while your body is trying to sort out, you know, what what it can use as fuel. You're going to be tired. You're going to have headaches. Like those things are all perfectly normal. And it's actually a really great sign. It's like exactly what you want to see that's telling you you're going in the right direction. I don't know if you ever like use an example like this, but I'll kind of tell people like, imagine like traveling to Bali or something where, you know, the planes suck. You have to spend all this time in airports around all these smelly people. You got to park everywhere. There's all these transfers. It's a real pain. You know, it could take you a day and a half of, of getting there. Once you're there, it's absolutely amazing and it's totally worth it while you're there. But the process of getting there is kind of a, a pain. But if you know what's at the end of that journey, you're going to be more likely to go through the hassle of the travel to experience Bali and everything that it has to offer. Oh, that's lovely. It makes me want to go to Bali now. Let's go. (laughs) The the irony is I'm already in Bali while I live in Canada. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) So, 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 you know, the two days pass, when did you start to notice um, some of the positive benefits? So pretty much right after um, those two crappy days, um, I started feeling like I was not just myself again, but a better version of myself. And so um, I, I started thinking, well, wait a minute, my pants are a bit looser. And I hopped on a scale, which um, I don't usually weigh myself, but I hopped on a scale and goodness me, I'd lost a couple of pounds, which on my small frame is quite a lot within a few days. Um, because I'm only five foot two and I'm, I was about 130 pounds at the time and I'm about 115 now. So I'm pretty tiny. Um, and so I was surprised because I wasn't eating less. I was just eating differently. Um, and my, you know, my little tummy was disappearing. There was that. And then I kind of just felt like I had this boost of energy um, that hasn't stopped since, and it's been six years. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like I'm on, yeah, a boost of energy and stable energy, not up and down energy like you'd have when you reach out for something sweet, you know. There was that. There was my my skin started to, to look kind of to glow more. My hair start, was in, in better shape. Um, and then I wasn't creaking out of bed in the morning. You know, I was in my mid-40s at the time. I was 45. You you sort of expect to be a bit creaky in the morning. But all of a sudden, I was getting out of bed and I didn't have to sort of stretch and, and like, you know, take the creases out of my joints, as it were. I just felt like I'd just lost 10 years. off. You know, I was just 
like I used to be 10 years ago. Wow. That's crazy. So you physically have been in Bali for the last six years experiencing paradise. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't guess it when you look out the window in February here with 10 feet of snow, but yeah, Bali with snow. Wow. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, I, I mean, one of the biggest advantages that I don't think people talk about enough, and I don't think very many people ever get to experience this in their life, is something that you mentioned, which is just it's level energy. It's higher energy, but it's not bouncing, um, you know, rambunctious. I just drank a gallon of caffeine, coffee, whatever, you know, type of energy. It's just like really clear, steady energy that doesn't have a limit. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And it's like, you don't need more energy because you never lack energy. That's the amazing thing for me. Cause I always grew up thinking, you know, when you're, have a slump in the middle of the morning, middle of the afternoon, then grab something sweet to give you the energy, right? But that is a paradigm that I stepped out of when I realized, wait a minute, why, why would I be lacking energy in the first place? Mm. And now I never lack energy. Yeah, that's so amazing. So cool. So tell us about um, the mechanisms for, you know, removing wheat and grains and removing sugar and what was going on in your joints and why you felt like that helped your movement. I think that's really important too. Well, I know it now that, you know, not eating grains, uh, which are 99.9% refined grains on our supermarket shelves, not eating grains, not eating sugar and its many synonyms. I mean, that brought down the inflammation, my systemic inflammation, the whole of my body to zero, basically. And so, of course, I wasn't getting all the symptoms of low-grade chronic inflammation that I'd always have. And, but, I mean, I didn't know that at the time. I just felt better. Wow. And you said that before you started this experiment, you thought it would be impossible, so maybe like a zero out of 10 chance that you would be able to finish. Did it end up being as hard as you thought it would be to um, finish a challenge? No, because funnily enough, I really like feeling great. So by the end of the second week, I was feeling much better than not just than the two days when I was out of action, but I was feeling better than I remembered ever having felt. So after those first 14 days, I got in touch with a nutritional therapist and she said to me, well, you can start, you know, bringing in one or two of the foods that we eliminated. And I was like, no, thanks. I'm doing just great. <laughs> I'm going to carry on for another week. And, um, and then another week and another week. And basically, I never looked back. And it's been six years. That's so cool. That's so cool. I wish more people would take that approach. Like, it's not forever. You don't have to do this for the rest of your life. But just try it. Try it for a little while. Pick a time. It could be two weeks. It could be two months. It could be, you know, whatever. And nothing is going to kill you in that amount of time. And then you may not ever want to get off. It's, it's so self-regulating because it's just like you said, why would I want to feel crappy? Like, why would I want to give away my energy? I, I, I just don't really want to. Exactly. And in as much as I said no thanks when she first, you know, gave me this idea of maybe cutting out sugar and, and, and grains and stuff, as much as I was like in denial about that, um, I also said no thanks for bringing them back in as well. Because a lot of people, when they don't know me very well, they sort of um, look at me with a pitying look and think, oh, yeah, poor you, you can't have this, you can't have that, you can't have birthday cake, whatever. And I'm like, but yes, I can, I can have whatever I like. Mm. 
Mm. When the second that I want to have some, I will have some. But the thing is, it's been six years and I'm still waiting. Mm, yeah, that's so well said. We just got back from a trip from Mexico and we went to an all-inclusive resort and it was the same thing. Like we talked about it before we left. We eat a fairly carnivore, you know, low, very low, you know, carbohydrate diet. And, you know, we're going to this place where all foods are available all the time, 24 hours, we can eat anything that we want and every color and option and texture is is offered to you. And it's like, you can walk by the bread you know, cart, you can walk by the table filled with desserts. And it's like, I know I can have this. I, I, can, I can have it. Nothing is stopping me from having this. But I know that first of all, it's not even going to taste as good as I remember these things tasting. And again, I don't want to feel crappy today and tomorrow. Like, it's not worth it. I'd rather go to the beach and feel great. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a promise. It's not some kind of high and mighty virtuous you know, sort of, uh, you know, the aspect of my personality or yours necessary that is that I'm better than anyone else and I can deny myself. I'm not denying, I mean, I wouldn't live my life like that, denying myself anything. Yeah. As you say, it's this, when you know what it feels like to just feel great, and that for me includes going to the bathroom every day now, but, you know, it's also having all this energy and, and looking and feeling like I'm half my age. Once you know what that's like, then, I mean, I don't want to let go of that. Mm. Yeah, that's such a great point. I love that you went there with that. Um, so, so let's see. Did you have any slip-ups any times where you were just like, yeah, maybe I will have a piece of bread or I will have something with sugar in it? Yes. Yeah, the weird thing is that my tastes completely changed. I think they say that your taste buds, the cells of your taste buds regenerate themselves in tw- you know every 21 days or something. But whatever, I mean, I ended up actually disliking sweet tastes. So um, it's actually, it wasn't really a slip up for me to sort of sneak in a bit of sugary stuff because I, I mean, I did taste sweet stuff and I just actively disliked the taste of sweetness. Um, after you know quite a few weeks of not ever tasting anything sweet so that was sort of that was a done deal I don't even get tempted with sweet things because they just don't taste good to me anymore and I'm still pretty freaked out about that I mean in a good way yeah I can't believe you know I can't believe it (laughs) um but the bread thing that is um a bit more of an Achilles heel for me um that during COVID when everyone was making sour bread because I'm interested in fermented foods, I asked my husband, could you make some sour bread so I can see how it all works, you know? And then, of course, once it was baked, it smelled so good, I had to have a slice. And I was telling myself, oh, it's fine because it's got lots of butter on it. <laughs> but, of course, but then what I found, and this was like five years in, this was five years into my no sugar journey, um, and I hadn't really had much bread until then, but then what I found was that it there was something in my brain that was triggered and I had to have another slice and another slice and I couldn't stop myself and I was sort of doing it in secret, sneaking it in. And I thought, I don't want to be that person. Mm. I don't want to have that behavior. I've been free of it for so long. Mm. And it's just healthier for me, not for the food of bread, it's healthier for my own behavior not to have bread anymore. Mm. 
Yeah, that's really good thing to know about yourself. Bread making is so much fun. I got into it a few years ago. I found the same thing with myself. Like I, I do better without it, and so I keep it out of my diet. But learning how to make sourdough bread is—it's a really fun process. <laughs> but you do totally. I mean, that's what I wanted to know about. I mean, the thing with sourdough bread is, is that it does ferment with the bacteria in, in the air, but it's not probiotic or anything because the heat of baking kills off any good bacteria. But it's a fun process for the fermentation. Yeah, totally. And you really get a sense of appreciation of like how how much additives or things that are taken out of flour in a normal like loaf of bread, like Wonder Bread will never go bad. Like you could have it for yeah. weeks, months, years, and it tastes exactly the same, which is disgusting. And we just lost Wonder Bread <laughs> as a potential sponsor, but that's okay. But like sourdough yeah. bread, sourdough bread feels like a boulder after like two days. Yeah. Huh. Yes. And even with that goodness, I can't, I can't handle it. I can't, you know, some people's brains are wired such that any sort of trigger of starchy uh, food, or in, for some people it's sweet, for me apparently it's starchy because chips have the same effect of me, on me. I cannot stop. Mm, gotcha. Well, you mentioned uh, fermented foods. What other ones did you decide to include in your diet along the way and which ones do you still have and, and um, why do you include them in your diet? Yeah, well, this was another thing that the nutritional therapist got me onto. And, you know, I thank her, you know, really from the bottom of my heart, because this was an amazing discovery for me. My brother had been fermenting vegetables for years before, and I just thought he was weird. <laughs> now I'm doing it and teaching it. <laughs> so who's, who's the weird one now? But, <laughs> but um, so the first thing that she said was yogurt. And of course, I'd always eaten yogurt, but it usually had been flavored yogurt. Or if I did buy plain, then I'd add lots of, you know, maple syrup and all that fruit and whatever. But she said, try making your own yogurt. And I did with an heirloom culture, um, which is mesophilic, which is called Vili, which um, you don't need a yogurt maker for it. It's very simple. It just ferments on the counter, room temperature. But the first time I made this really probiotic yogurt, which not many shop store-bought yogurts are, I had a phenomenon called die-off, which is when some people, when they get all these good bacteria in the system, their system is not used to it. And I had a kind of a 20 minutes in the bathroom with cramps and, and things like that. 20 minutes. It wasn't that bad, but um, it was kind of my system that was like, whoa, what's going on? All these good bacteria called die-off. So, um, but after that was over, then, my, you know, my whole gut health started to improve and my digestion also improved. And then I started to learn how to make, make this yogurt, ke milk kefir, which is even more probiotic than yogurt. And then kombucha that I make. Um, Fermented vegetables like kimchi, sauerkraut, beets. Yeah, I make all that stuff. That's great. I, I we try to make um, at least one big batch of sauerkraut every year, and it's a it's such a cool process. Like you're you're literally working with death to create life. It's really incredible. And if you have the the patience and time to watch this unfold, you as the chef, um, it's almost like a, a you know a brewer to beer. You're not brewing beer. You're you're making this soup that other living creatures are going to consume, and they create this amazing product. It's it's a really cool process. Do you still consume all of those things? Yes, I make them and I consume them. 
Um, and I, it, what's cool about fermented foods is that they each have different strains of bacteria. So you're, for good gut health, you know, and it's not just for digestive health, it's also for emotional, psychological, even neurological health. Gut health is key to your general health. And what's necessary is a, a variety of different strains of probiotic bacteria. So it's no use downing two liters of kombucha every day, especially not the commercial stuff, which is one step up from seven up, really. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. If, if somebody's going to hear kombucha and they're going to think, great, I'll just walk over to Whole Foods and buy whatever they have on the shelf. And those two things are not even close to the same. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the kombucha that I make, that I let ferment for three or sometimes four weeks, um, I have to say no one would buy it. No one would buy it. It doesn't taste like some kind of, you know, I don't know, Mountain Dew. There goes another sponsor. Ah, oh, man. Mountain Dew. Damn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. What benefits did you notice from, from increasing, you know, you mentioned the different kinds of, of bacteria. Um, wh what things have you noticed digestively that you've included such a wide and diverse um, amount of fermented foods in your diet? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, my, I go to the bathroom every day, if you're wondering. My digestion is now normal and regular. So there's that, with no pain and, and no straining and all the rest of it. And the other thing that I've noticed is that my moods have stabilized. Now, I used to have terrible PMS, terrible, and just be generally moody and sort of chalk it up to being a woman. But honestly, I'm like in a good mood 99% of the time now. So my moods have stabilized, my energy has stabilized, um, and I find that my concentration, my mental clarity is better. And I think that, um, you know, there's no sort of scientific evidence to correlate or even especially for a causal, causal relationship between the fermented foods that I eat and how I feel, you probably won't find studies that will prove this because they're very, very difficult to do, these studies. But I can tell you as an experiment of N equals one, N meaning meta, um, <laughs> <laughs> that I feel better when I consume these probiotic foods and drinks than when I don't. Mm. And I just have to say, like, for the listener, I can confirm 100% that Netta is pretty much always in a fantastic mood based on her social <laughs> media pages. You have so much fun <laughs> and enjoyment in your life. And I really appreciate that. And, and sometimes when social media can have a lot of, um, you know, meanness, you just always are having a blast, which I love and appreciate. <laughs> I mean, people, thank you. And people who've known me, you know, since before I stopped eating sugar and started eating and drinking these fermented foods. I mean, they said, you know, Netta, you've always been a glass half full kind of person. It's not like I had a personality transplant, um, but, and it's not like I never get sad or stressed or anxious. Believe me, I am human still, but it's just, I'm just not in uh, drowning in my moods and my mood swings anymore. Mm. That's such a good point. When we started to tighten up our diet, that was the one thing that shocked me the most. I was already eating, you know, primarily low carbohydrate and didn't have a ton of crap in my diet. But when I removed even, you know, more of the carbohydrates, the, the 
boy, your mood is just so good all the time. I just tell people like whatever, you know, scale of one to 10 number you are today, just imagine that being like three or four points higher than whatever it is. If you're at a four today, you'll just feel like a seven for no other reason. Your mood is just always great. You handle stress so much better, way more gratitude and spirituality and appreciation for things. Those are definitely things that I noticed. Totally, totally. And, you know, and it's ironic because people think that when you don't eat sugar and you're not celebrating with cake and desserts and stuff like that, then your life is dull and boring and sad and crikey. It's the opposite. Absolutely. Yeah. We just talked to Abby from House of Keto about the same thing. She said the same thing. It's like we we eat food that we really enjoy already. And now we're making other memories doing other things. It's not just all about the food. There might be food at an event, but we go to appreciate the event. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. I, I turned 50 last year and only three days, and it was in lockdown, you know, so there wasn't much of a party. And only three days after my 50th birthday did I think, oh, hang on, there wasn't a cake. <laughs> it was just not on my radar. Wow. Wow. I love that. That's so great. And yeah, for the listener, again, if you are if you have thought about this or considered this, these benefits are real and they are across the board. We've coached so many people mutually and, and had so many good results that are very consistent with your message. Um, you decided to make sugar um, your main crusade and you decided to um, start your business. Can you tell us a little bit about what drove that decision and why you wanted to get that message out? Yes. Oh, crikey. I mean, I didn't set out to make a business I'm a teacher and I've been a teacher all my life and that's sort of as far away from a business person as you can get <laughs> <laughs> but what what happened was that I was I felt so great and um I just couldn't keep it to myself about everything I was finding out about sugar so I started giving little workshops in, in French here because I'm bilingual um, in Quebec and slowly but surely people were getting more interested in my workshops about sugar and I was getting these messages that I was sort of impacting people's lives wow. and inspiring them and it's just what I love most about my college teaching English teaching is this inspiring my students to sort of better themselves and, and understand things differently, look at things differently. And I was getting this from my workshops about sugar. So then I, I made a website, which sounds, you know, quick and easy, but it certainly wasn't for me. No, it's not. <laughs> no, you know, made oh, yeah. a website in French um, and started giving like online classes or courses and a membership in French. And that's called La Vie Après le Sucre which is like the French equivalent of life after sugar. And then, um, only, and that's been around for about three years. I got into the French speaking media and they made a big hoo-ha about me. And, and that was in 2018 when keto first came along and people get me mixed up with keto. Um, and I'm actually going to be doing a podcast episode that's, called, that's going to be called, Are You Keto? No, I'm Netta. I love that. <laughs> because I'm, I am not what I eat. I'm me. And I'm certainly what other, not what other people tell me I eat. Anyway, um, so, so that, was, that got me sort of into the, the media and stuff in French-speaking Quebec. And then I thought, hang on, I'm English-speaking. It would sort of be a bit easier for me to do the equivalent in English with a slightly bigger population in the world. <laughs> <laughs> And so then I, I made, and again, oh, I just made a website in English, but you know, 
so much work. That's- so much work, so much work. I do have help though. And then I made my podcast, which came out in January of this year. Um, and it's like now I'm thinking, you know, I'm I'm 51. I'm a few years off retirement for my teaching job. I think I might be able to do like the te- my teaching, what I love about teaching. I might be able to replace what I teach in English as a second language for teaching about sugar. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I, I want to go back to some of those workshops. Like what, what did that look like? Were you in a group setting? Was that, where were you conducting those? What was that like? Well, in the good old days, that means before COVID. <laughs> I can't and, remember. And even, I mean, even before I even imagined that online teaching could, could exist. Well, this was just me in the classroom with a bunch of people and, and a PowerPoint, you know, wow. teaching them about what sugar does to your body and, and what you can eat that doesn't have sugar in it. And then gradually it moved online um, for my website in French. And now it's a hundred percent online. Mm. Wow. That's amazing. So nobody really like gave you permission or said you have to do this or that or the other. You just decided to do it and share your knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone's in any position to give me permission to do anything <laughs> or take it away. <laughs> that's amazing. I just think that's so amazing that you you had something that you felt really passionate about that you decided to make into your pet project and put a lot of work into and have helped so many people. I, I, that's so amazing. Yes. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I'm a lay person and not a health professional or a nutritionist because no one's looking over my shoulder um, you know, and telling me you're allowed to, you're not allowed to say this, or you've been funded to say that. Nobody. I'm a teacher. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing. It's got pros and cons. Like I don't fault anybody for going to, you know, a medical school and getting a degree and getting the doctorate. But but at the same time, it might be a little harder to share your message where you know people like you or I were kind of rogue and we could say whatever we want and people want to listen to us. That's their problem. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's not like we're just, you know, speaking off the top of our heads. I mean, yourself, as much as for me, just I teach my students at my college to, you know, research their stuff and double check their sources and make sure they got credible sources and blah, blah. And I do that myself, you know, times 10. So it's not like we're just saying any old thing. But what's cool is that we can talk from our perspective as you know, regular people doing what makes us feel good. Mm, yeah, I love that. Um, let's see. So tell us a little bit about the podcast. When did that idea come about? When did you know that you wanted to have a podcast yourself? And how did you decide on the style of podcast it would be? I, again, we said it earlier. I really love what what you're doing over there. The episodes are great. They're really easy to listen to. And I, I love the style personally. Thank you. Do you know, I do, I'm not sure what it was that actually set me off thinking I want to do a podcast but I think part of it was I don't know how to do it so let's give it a try (laughs) I told you I was a bit adventurous um (laughs) so that was one thing and plus um I don't know if you've noticed but I quite like to talk um (laughs) so um a podcast is a great forum for me for you know and uh, ironically when I interview other people they're the ones doing the talking so I try and slip in a few solo episodes so I get my say you know (laughs) um so that was that and I I promised myself that I'd get my podcast out and published in January of 2021 and I could see January 31st was coming along so I just 
sort of pressed on publish and it happened to be a Sunday. So now all my podcasts come out every Sunday. Oh, that's great. How difficult was it to press record that first time? It was fine. I had to do it before midnight on the 31st. So I just did it. (laughs) Wow. It's good to give yourself those deadlines. I've told this before, but like even the very day, like within minutes of when my wife and I scheduled to do our first one, I was already coming up with more excuses of why we needed to practice more and why let's do this tomorrow. Let's put this off again. And I'm so glad that she was like, no, Bozo, let's get this done now. (laughs) We Uh, need to do this. Just do it. Yep. Just go ahead and do it. Yes. And it was the same. It was the same for my website in English. And it was just it's a lot, a lot of work, more than you could ever imagine. Or not you, because I know you know. But um, it was like, it's got to come out. It's like something, again, like giving birth. It's got to come out. Yeah, I totally agree. We feel so strongly about getting the message out too. And we're so grateful for you for doing the same and, and you know, doing your podcast and appearing with us today. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to make you say which episode has been your favorite, but I will say, what is one that's just kind of standing out that like, maybe it's like the first one that you're thinking of or, or something you heard recently. Um, like what, what's, what's a cool kind of story that you've captured recently that you'd like to share? Um, well, yes. Um, there's one, the very first one that is the story behind life after sugar, which according to my statistics is like one of the most um, popular ones of the series. That one was the coolest one because she asked me some amazing questions and kind of set the ball rolling. And so that very first interview is the one that really made me believe that this podcast could touch people's hearts, inspire them and actually make a difference in the world. Mm. Well, it definitely is doing that. Uh, you told me offline that you've got podcasts scheduled um, pretty much through this year, which is amazing. We will definitely be looking forward to listening to those. You do such a great job with them. And yeah, podcasting is a lot of work, but it, it at the end of the day, it does feel amazing to feel like you are giving back and sharing a message. It is just so important and so needed right now. Um, as far as your coaching goes, what kinds of things are you looking to do in the future? How would you like to be working with people? Yeah, so I, I mean, I identify myself as a teacher, not as a coach. Um, I don't want to be pedantic about it, but, you know, it's um, it's really, I'm a teacher through and through. So it's really, my goal is to help people transform their relationship with sugar. It's not just to teach them what to eat, what not to eat. I mean, anyone can do that, really. But I've had six years of experience as a, as a lay person, as it were, as a regular person consumer to really think about my relationship or your relationship with sugar and how it affects all different aspects of life from you know from social pressure to you know how do you soothe yourself comfort yourself reward yourself when you don't turn to sugar because sometimes I call it the nothing to hide nowhere to hide phenomenon when you take away that screen of sugar that you've been hiding behind, at least I was, and sort of covering up my real feelings, my real emotions, um, when you take that away, you have to actually face what's going on, um, face your real emotions and deal with them and learn other coping skills that most of us never learned when we were young. And so for me, I had to think about this and, and really learn about it and now teach about it 
um, to other people who are also in in midlife. Mm. Do you think you'll be doing any in-person um, workshops again now that things are starting to kind of open back up or are you planning mostly uh, virtual? It's mostly virtual. It's the easiest thing for everyone involved because, you know, I live in, in the middle of nowhere in northeastern Canada. Certainly no one's going to come and see me on a stage here. <laughs> uh, plus it's a French-speaking environment. But um, it's mostly virtual, mostly online. But, I mean, if I'm invited somewhere on a stage, I, I'm... I'm I'm actually quite comfortable on the stage. I like it. Great. Wow. Well, we'll be looking forward to that in the future. What is one simple tip you would want somebody to take from this conversation and apply in their lives? Well, the first thing is that it's possible. And I didn't think it was possible for me because I was the world's biggest sweet tooth. Um, so if, if you can just entertain the idea that it's possible to not just to change what you eat and to cut sugar, but to actually change your whole taste where you, your, what you like to eat changes and to change, transform for the better, your relationship with sugar. Even if you don't even think you have a relationship with sugar, you often discover that you do. And so it's the one thing that helps most people that I work with is the fact that they're open-minded enough and curious to try something new. Mm. And it, it almost seems like people need to, they don't need to, but a lot of people, you know, have to go through this process of suffering similar to what you did. One of my favorite quotes is when pain increases, hearing improves. And when you're in some really uncomfortable positions and experiencing a lot of really, you know, bad mental or physical, you know, states, it, it, it's worth considering. And I, I love that message of like, it's not going to be as hard as you think you can do it. You can be empowered by it. You can take as much time as you like with it, but you can do it. I, I love that. That's great. Uh, yeah. Netta, can you tell us again, one more time, where should people go to find you and connect with you and your work? All right. So my website is aftersugarclub.com. And I have lots of free resources there. I've got a free, simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar that you can download. I've got five tips to help you with cravings that you can download. I've got all the podcast episodes are there as well on my website. And I've got information for the after the Life After Sugar program as well, which for the moment it's closed, but it will be opening up after the summer. Um, but And it will be permanently open after that. I've also got a Facebook page called Life After Sugar, Instagram at My Life After Sugar, and I'm on Clubhouse as well as Netta Gorman. So pretty much everywhere. Wow, easy to find. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we will link to all of that in the show notes. Netta Gorman, thank you so much for everything that you've done in your journeys and, and something I respect so much, which is you were willing to share and help other people. Nobody had to tell you to do that. You just decided to do that and you're doing that today. And I, I'm very grateful for you and your work. And thank you so much for everything you've done. And thank you for coming onto our show today. Uh, thanks, Casey. Thanks. It's been an absolute honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.